0: Everyone, I'm Charlotte, and I'm Dina. Welcome to the Grim Curriculum. First of all, we want to thank you all for the amazing response to our second Grim
1: Encounters episode. We really love getting to hear all of your stories and share them on the podcast. We also want to thank everyone who's been submitting stories since the release too. And we're planning on doing part three sometime in the future. And in all honesty, we're happy to keep the Grim Encounters series going as long as you keep sharing stories with us. Hell yeah. And Charlotte, you actually said something during the episode that has stuck with me. You've said it felt like we were all sitting around a campfire and telling stories. And honestly, I could not agree more.
0: Yeah, it feels like a nice conversation. We're all telling fun stories. I, yeah, it's. I think it's a great... It's, it's a great, uh, what's the word, palate cleanser break as well, especially after coming Absolutely. out of some heavier episodes. So always glad to hear your stories. I think we all needed that break mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, so today is a first for us, and we know this is something many of you have been waiting for us to tackle.
1: That's right. So today is our very
0: first cult episode we actually sat down and talked for a little while about which cults we wanted to start off with there's so many notable ones that come to mind but we wanted to talk about one that may not be quite as well known as heaven's gate or the people's temple for example
1: although they are certainly on our list so do not worry
0: One of the things that really stands out about this particular cult is the fact that while unfortunately many of their own members did die while in their care, they turned their attacks towards the unsuspecting public.
1: Among some other murders, this group was responsible for multiple attacks where they used deadly sarin gas to target completely innocent people. This
0: series takes us to Japan, although the reach of this group spanned to other countries, some of which might surprise you. Today, we are starting our series on Om Shinrikyo, the Japanese Doomsday Cult. And we mean it when we say this story has everything bottled bathwater, an anime recruitment video, a super
1: strange leader, and death. Lots and lots of death. You're not joking. <laughs> I know, it's, oh my god, wow. I'm honestly really excited to talk about this group, because like, what they did was horrific, but their leader, Shoko Asahara, is just one of the strangest dudes we have ever covered. (laughs) And you're all gonna see partway through this episode that that is the case, because... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fascinated with cults for a very long time. Uh, one of my very first true crime books was this little $5 bargain bin book about cults that I read like over and over when I was like 14. But I have to say I only learned about this group a few years ago. And I'm surprised they aren't as well known because like we said, this story is unreal. I mean, from
0: Manson's family to the Ant Hill kids, cults have always fascinated me because <sighs> I've always wanted to understand how one becomes part of something like that.
1: This is going to be a multi-episode series. I learned my lesson with Danny Rowling that I'm never going to say ahead of time how many episodes I think it's going to be, because chances (laughs) are either way I'm wrong. So we're (laughs) just going to dive in and see where this
0: story takes us. Today, we are going to be talking about the early life of the leader of Om Shinrikyo, a man named Shoko Asahara, as well as the early days of the cult. We also want to talk a little bit about what exactly makes a cult a cult. And you'll quickly see how things with this particular group escalate and how they were able to get control
1: of so many people, most of whom were incredibly educated. That's a huge thing to remember here that tends to set this group apart. They had doctors, lawyers, and chemists, like highly educated people completely we'll call it what it is, brainwashed. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's something that makes this group so horrifying. You see it a lot in the interviews that exist with the former members, but they're like well-spoken, they're smart, they're overall not the kind of people you think would fall for some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Although, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, many members
0: from the lower echelons had no idea that very sinister things were happening at the
1: highest level of the cult. But that goes to show the power of a charismatic leader who happens to show up right when you need him and has the ability to tell you exactly what you want to hear and then convinces you to essentially worship him. So we'll definitely be talking about how the
0: hell that can actually happen because most of you listening are probably wondering that and we can't really blame you.
1: So we're gonna start the series off by talking about just that. What makes a cult a cult? We're sure all of you at this point are pretty familiar with
0: the concept of a cult and probably know about a few of the more infamous ones, but we wanted to go over a little bit about what actually classifies a group as a cult. Cults
1: are definitely still a thing, there's no doubt about that, but there was a time during the 80s and the 90s where they were a largely talked about problem. You couldn't watch daytime TV without seeing a talk show host talking about it, or news stories of groups of families wanting to get back their loved ones. So this is from Dr. Steve Eichel, who in 1996
0: wrote out the characteristics that went into these groups so that people knew what to look
1: for if they were worried about friends or family members. Dr. Eichel is known for his work on destructive cults and mind control, as well as deprogramming those getting out of these terrifying
0: groups. Because this certainly is a horrifying concept, and seeing someone you love go through it must be awful. Going through it yourself must be a whole other nightmare altogether
1: this particular part of his work is appropriately titled are you or is someone you know involved in a high demand group or movement cult there's a fair bit here but we're going to go over some of
0: the stuff that will apply to this
1: group we do want to
0: point out that he does say that this is not meant to diagnose a group but to provoke thought
1: and be a source people could use if they
0: weren't sure if a group could be dangerous
1: The first point is pretty obvious. So the group is focused on a living leader who members seem to display excessively zealous, unquestioning commitment. And we will quickly see Om
0: Shinrikyo definitely checks this off.
1: He also mentions that one of the main focuses of the group will often be bringing in both new members and money and that more often than not, questioning anything is either heavily discouraged or
0: straight up punished. The use of mind-numbing techniques is also mentioned, and he specifically
1: talks about meditation, which we absolutely see with this group. Another interesting one is that the leader of the group is not accountable to any authorities, including police and military.
0: And again, there are more, but we'll end this with one of the best-known characteristics of a cult. Members are encouraged or required
1: to live and socialize only with other group members. We see a removal from the family a lot with groups like this. Often members are led to believe that this is their new family and are distanced from their loved ones. They essentially remove people from their normal
0: and create a new version of normal for them to live in. The idea tends to be to stop people from communicating with anyone from their old life.
1: Essentially anyone who's going to look at them and say, what you're doing makes no sense, get yourself home now. Basically
0: removing any voice of reason to keep members in an echo chamber and that's really dangerous oh absolutely in most things you know if even in your everyday life it's important to talk to people with other beliefs because that's how you grow and make decisions and make choices and when all you hear is what you want to hear that
1: can be very dangerous yeah that generally doesn't end well Mm mm-hmm We also want to point out that while there's absolutely cults that have led to mass murder, not all of them do. However, that doesn't mean that these groups don't find other terrible ways to victimize people.
0: Now, like we said, you can't have a cult without a cult leader. So let's get to the shining star of this series, Shoko Asahara.
1: Now, I feel like most cults are going to come with a charismatic leader with a wild story, but (laughs) I truly think Shoko Asahara takes the cake here. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that makes me find this group so fascinating, because this guy was interesting, to say the least. First and foremost, Shoko Asahara was not the name
0: he was born with. Chizuo Matsumoto was born March 2nd, 1955, in a small village on the island of Kyushu. He was the second youngest of seven children.
1: And for the time being, we're going to refer to him as Chizuo because he definitely becomes Shoko Asahara later. It's reported that his family
0: was very poor. His father earned a living making tatami mats and they lived a very simple life. It's also said that the family had a hereditary eye disease that was passed to many of the Matsumoto children.
1: One of his older brothers had been enrolled in a school for the blind due to almost complete lack of sight and the family did the same thing with Chizuo. He was fully blind in his left eye and could only partially see from his right. And a little bit
0: of interesting information about the type of school he was enrolled in. In the late 1800s, a system was established in Japan that made education a requirement for most children.
1: And we say most because this did not include children with disabilities. Now, that doesn't mean that these children were banned from getting an education. They just weren't really pushed to. In the instance that their parents wanted them to pursue one, they would have to enroll their child in a private school. These schools were often run by charities or religious groups who had the extra money to
0: fund them. The school Chizuo was sent to was called the Kumamoto School for the Blind. It was very common that graduates of this school would go on to have careers doing acupuncture or herbal medicine. This had been the tradition for a very long time. He was sent to
1: live there until his teens. From the start, it was obvious that he was not like the other kids. I mean, there certainly was one major distinction. He
0: wasn't fully blind while a lot of his other classmates were. And this shows
1: us the kind of person that he was, even from an early age.
0: We do want to point out that obviously sometimes kids just don't know better. But personally, I think we can both agree that this is pretty excessive. We would love to know your thoughts, though.
1: Yeah, so he very quickly realized that he could use this to his advantage and he constantly held it over the other students. It didn't take long for him to basically start ruling that entire school. He would bully students into buying his lunches for him and would often beat them if they didn't comply. During this time, it is said that he would talk openly about his hopes and dreams, often telling everyone that he would someday be the emperor of
0: Japan. Kids who attended the school at the same time as him, as well as his teachers, reported many instances where he would also use his eyesight to do things for other students
1: so that they owed him favors. I find this really interesting because he starts going to the school at the age of six and he starts doing stuff like this pretty quickly because essentially he was removed from his home and put into a brand new environment away from his family. This place was also incredibly isolated. I think that it's worth noting that because a lot of these are traits that his communes would later have. He was the king of the school and he found a way to bring that into his adult life. It also seems like he knew how to not only
0: become feared, but popular from an early age. A former teacher was reported
1: saying, Being able to see, even a little, is prestigious because blind children want to go out and have coffee in a tea room, but can't go out themselves. They would say to him, I will buy you dinner, why don't you take me out? Pretty bad. I mean, it's
0: one thing when, you know, he's a disabled person, he's blind, so in a room of his peers his age he would be at the bottom of the food chain but now suddenly he's at the top of the food chain so you can see it going to his head
1: for sure and it's interesting to me that this doesn't turn into like oh i can see better than everyone else let me help them exactly let me figure out how to use this to my advantage Mm -hmm. all of that being said he still wasn't able to secure any kind of official leadership positions at the school something that he desperately wanted He tried to become the student body president, captain of sports
0: teams, and basically just any position where he could be the boss, but it just wasn't granted to him, which is interesting because some of these positions required students
1: to vote on them. When he finished high school, he attempted to take the entrance exam to a university, but he failed due to the fact that many of the topics covered on the test were never actually taught to him. He spent the majority of his time in school studying acupuncture.
0: He wasn't really a huge fan of this because he believed he was capable of more than what was being expected of him. However, he continued to study acupuncture in hopes that it would help
1: improve his eyesight. He continued to work on his education as much as he could so he can gain entrance to the school he really had his sights on, Tokyo University. Unfortunately, after many failed attempts, he finally decided that he wasn't interested in attending any school and continued to earn money by working as an acupuncturist. It was around this time
0: that he met his wife, a 19-year-old student named Tomoko Ishii.
1: Eventually, the two would
0: have a total of six children.
1: The two started a small business where Chizuo would practice acupuncture and sell various herbal remedies. This became a relatively successful business and they were able to move their family into a modest but nice home in a good neighborhood.
0: However, about a year after opening the shop, he got in trouble for selling something he called... Almighty medicine, a concoction that would reverse even the worst of ailments.
1: The reality of it was that it was basically just a drink made from orange peels. There was nothing almighty about it. He was
0: charged and detained for 20 days under the pharmaceutical affairs law. His punishment also came with a hefty fine that caused his business to go bankrupt. This was a devastating
1: blow to his family. It is said that around the time of his arrest, he had become interested in various religions and he participated in multiple activities put on by some of the newer religious groups that were popping up in the area. This is also interesting to note because when he
0: would finally found Aum Shinrikyo, he used the teachings of various different religions that stood out to him rather than focusing on just one. The timing of
1: this could not have been better. Japan was going through a time that we now refer to as the rush hour of the gods meaning that people were now free to choose their own religion. This led to
0: an increase in new groups being formed, and many of them had their own series of religious and spiritual beliefs.
1: A lot of the leaders of these groups were once disadvantaged or fed up with the strict rules and expectations of Japanese life and appealed to a lot of younger people. He
0: became involved with one of the largest of these newer religions, Agonshu. This group focused on the goal of attaining a state of nirvana, which is considered a perfect state of happiness, where all of your individual desires and suffering go away. It was essentially a mix of both Buddhist and Hindu elements. His new knowledge of different religions caused him to experience what he called a spiritual pull. He ended up wandering around India in order to achieve enlightenment.
1: First of all, I need to point out I'm speaking as a non-religious person, so I can't really relate to the need for spirituality. But can you imagine your partner, who you have six children with, just being like, hey, I'm going to India for a while. I'll be back when I achieve nirvana. Bye. (laughs) Like... like, I wish we knew more from the wife and how she felt about all of this, because, like, was she on board? Was she pissed? Because, like, I can't imagine this right, went well.
0: Right? Because, like, the thing that made me wonder is, like, how did he afford this? Did he just, like, have his wife continuously send him money? Or, like, how do you just I, take I, a sabbatical being like, sorry, honey, I'm going to India for as long as I need
1: I honestly like I wondered about that too and it's obvious from like the age of six that this guy's a con man true like like really so I'm pretty sure he figured out some sort of way to swindle people out of money and have this trip completely funded. He apparently had a really productive trip at least and he studied Hinduism and Buddhism. He also met with various Tibetan lamas, including the Dalai Lama, and he made sure that when he met them, pictures were taken because he later used those as a marketing tool in an attempt to show his legitimacy to others. He basically returned
0: as a changed man. He said that he was now ready to explain his religion to the world.
1: Chizuo and his wife were now earning the majority of their money by running various yoga classes. He would often offer the services of a kind of therapist slash fortune teller and he began to gain popularity really quick. From an early point, he understood the importance of
0: marketing, and he advertised his classes by handing out flyers that had a photo of him on the front of them. Not just
1: any photo, a photo of him levitating. He would
0: essentially walk up to people, claim he could levitate, and then get them to take his
1: classes. I read this, and I saw the photo, and my first thought was if someone handed me something like this and claimed that it was a photo of them levitating, I would immediately be like, Okay, so do it now. Right? Like, <laughs> like, I feel like a photo would not be enough. Also, if I could
0: levitate, I would never walk again. I'd just be levitating everywhere. <laughs>
1: right? You'd be showing that shit off. Oh, absolutely. You'd be like, I bet you $100 I can't levitate. Yeah. <laughs> or I can levitate. Whatever. I'm not a bet. Yeah, woman. you could definitely. I mean, <laughs> if you want to get money learn how to levitate for real. exactly exactly oh that's God. what i'm saying i honestly though like i think all of this goes to show how good of a job he did at selling himself so to speak because mm-hmm. like again i'll remind you all like the members of this group would ultimately end up being people who were highly educated so he had to have like a certain level of pizzazz in order to get them to believe anything he was saying We also
0: want to point out, just in case anyone's actually questioning this, uh, that the photo is not a photo of him actually levitating off the ground. Uh, We'll post it up on the socials and share it on the YouTube video. Uh, But basically, it's just a picture of him... That was taken as he was, like, bouncing and then doing a yoga pose, um, which I feel is, like, something I did on trampolines when I was a child. So
1: Right? Like, I feel like just the photo itself, like, it doesn't look like... I picture, like, when I hear of a photo of a guy levitating, I picture someone, like, serenely levitating. Mm -hmm. This looks like he... Jumped. Yeah, just he, j- like he jumped. J- yeeted himself in the air,
0: crisscrossed applesauce, and was like, quick, snap it before
1: I hit the ground. <laughs> exactly. And what's funny to me is I watched a documentary where, like, this reporter saw the photo. And yes. he was like, this is stupid. And so he, like, had a photo of him taken where he looks yes. like, he's levitating. I and he saw brought it. it to him and was like, look. And Jizuo was like, uh, no, uh, I'm levitating. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, seems legit, seems legit. Oh
0: my <laughs> we God. believe it. Yeah. While all of this may sound ridiculous to some of you, it certainly wasn't to a lot of the people who saw it, and soon enough, the photo is being used in newspapers
1: and magazines to boast about his skills. In 1984, he started a group he called Om Shinsen Nokai, or Om Associations of Mountain Wizards, and three years later, it was renamed Om Shinrikyo, or Om Supreme Truth. It was also around this time that he changed his name from Chizuo Matsumoto to Shoko Asahara. At this time, the group had about 10 followers, and that number would very quickly grow. This is one of my favorite parts
0: of this, but one of the most notable ways that the group would recruit new members was through anime. There's episodes of this online if you're curious. Yes, um, there's something else. The anime portrays the group as relatively harmless... I have to say one thing about the anime. Mhm. It was like the art was good. I you know what? I watched a couple of clips on YouTube and I quite enjoyed it. The art style yeah, of it. It I know, was
1: I know. Yeah. So I mean whoever they got to animate this, good job. <laughs> right? Like I mean, I don't think I would have like given my life to the person in but I would have enjoyed seeing it.
0: Yeah, if they'd have just made an anime about, you know, being um, a follower of like Buddhism and Hinduism, probably
1: could have been fine. But as we all know, they took it a little further than that. Just a little bit. Just a little. His time studying Agonshu helped him in a lot of ways. Not only was he able to learn more about the practices themselves, he also learned about what it took to run a group successfully. But he wanted more. In his mind, he wasn't a follower. He was a leader. So how does this go from being a yoga studio to a death cult? We want to remind you, this didn't happen overnight, and that's one of the big things to remember with cults. Generally, when groups like this end in disaster, it isn't quick. It's a slow burn. At first, the beliefs of the group
0: were pretty simple. Their main goal was to turn away from all worldly materialism
1: in favor of a life of meditation. Again, this appealed to a huge number of people, especially young adults who were fed up with the high pressure to succeed that society had put on them.
0: One theory about why so many young men joined the group was that they saw Shoko Asahara as somewhat of a father figure. Professor Oda from the University of Tsukuba suggested in a study that this desire often stemmed from the fact that due to the nature of consumerism in Japan at the time, Many fathers were required to work
1: long hours away from home in order to support their families. So basically, you grow up never seeing your dad because of how much he has to work. You probably ask about it and you get told that he works hard so the family can have nice things. And then you get older and this man who gives you more attention than your father ever did tells you that all of those things are wrong and that you don't need them. At this point, we see a few things that
0: we talked about in the beginning. We have our leader and we have a growing number of members.
1: More and more people are joining at this point and they're essentially being told that they don't need any of the things they grew up hearing they needed and that their family didn't understand them. But that's okay because Shoko Asahara understood them and he knew exactly what they needed.
0: Or so they thought, but you can see already how this is starting to slowly escalate. Shoko Asahara began to speak more about the teachings of Nostradamus and was beginning to give his members the whole, the world is ending and only I can help you spiel.
1: And I understand how outlandish this sounds, but I want to point out something very important that our younger listeners may not understand. So a huge amount of people legitimately believed that the world would end in 1999 or 2000 be it due to Y2K or World War. Like, that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Like, they weren't the only ones that believed this.
0: And all that combined with the promise that this group was the only thing that could save them had a lot of people thinking that maybe this was the only way they stood a chance to survive the
1: impending doom. In September of 1988, a young member of the group was tightly bound and hung upside down. The idea was that it was similar to a very
0: advanced yoga practice. However, in order to do this safely, a large amount of
1: time is required to build up to longer sessions. And this story is really tragic. He began to get disoriented and members began to notice, so they asked Shoko Asahara on how to proceed. He told them to keep going. This led to the eventual death of the young man, one of many that would follow. They burned his body to hide the evidence, and the group continued on like nothing had ever happened. Only
0: one member spoke out about what happened. He threatened to expose the group for the murder.
1: Shoko Asahara responded to this by ordering that the man be killed and his body be disposed of in the same way as the man whose death he was trying to expose. Shoko
0: Asahara had always found ways to get money. Whether it was offering acupuncture or beating up his fellow students as a child, he did what he had to do. Soon, he realized, he could probably make a lot of money off of these people. And he did.
1: By the end of 1988, the group had grown to three. Thousand followers in just a couple years, that number would hit ten thousand. In 1989,
0: Shoko Asahara applied to register the group with the government and was successful, which
1: means that the group is now considered a legal religious corporation. This couldn't have been better for them, and more new members joined now that they had this newfound sense of legitimacy to the public. Members of the group would often appear on TV or in the newspaper with Asahara front and center, wearing robes and sporting a long beard. He began telling people
0: that he was a savior and that he was the reincarnation of the Hindu god of destruction and
1: regeneration, Shiva. He promised things like teaching his followers enlightenment, levitation, and telepathy. However, not everyone
0: agreed with their teachings. Like we mentioned earlier in the episode, cults were becoming a pretty big problem around this time, and Japan was no exception. Many family members were upset that their loved ones had left for the group and were concerned about their well-being.
1: It was almost kind of frowned upon to talk badly about the new religions that were popping up because they were seen as the country moving away from older times. This was something people really didn't want to do. Even the police would avoid conflict because they didn't want to be seen as reacting to religious groups negatively. This made Omshin Shinrikyo basically untouchable. You could
0: complain about them, sure, but chances are nothing would really happen.
1: This led to a number of anti-cult lawyers who would file lawsuits against groups like Omshin Shinrikyo on behalf of these families. One of these lawyers was Tsutsumi Sakamoto. He was known
0: for successfully leading a class action lawsuit against the Unification Church, a group also
1: known as the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. This group had used money from its members to expand, and when they lost this lawsuit, it was a massive blow to their membership numbers and their bank account. This alone earned Sakamoto many enemies. He argued that people were not joining Om Shinrikyo voluntarily, but that they were being deceived into joining. Not only that, he also said that many of the members were being held against their will and weren't allowed to leave. He founded the Coalition of Help for Those Affected by Om Shinrikyo. They had seen what happened to groups like them who
0: lost these lawsuits and they were aware that this could essentially ruin them forever. And
1: that was something Shoko Asahara just couldn't have. This is when things get dark real fast. By this point, it was obvious that he couldn't run the group alone. Shoko Asahara was the clear leader of the group, but he had deputies that helped make things run smoothly for him.
0: One of these men was 35-year-old Yoshinobu Aoyama. He was not only a lawyer, he was the youngest person in his class to ever complete the
1: national exam in his field of study. His involvement with the group started when he began taking yoga classes with Shoko Asahara. For long, he abandoned his family to become a monk with the group. Asahara would win people over with his
0: charisma and was referred to by many as a cuddly teddy bear. I
1: wish that was a joke, but that bit is 100% serious.
0: I mean, I didn't know the man, uh, but in his images and videos, he does not strike me as a cuddly teddy bear.
1: (laughs) But I know what I know, so. That's not even based on, like, appearance necessarily. He just has a look of someone who's like, I want to hug you. (laughs) and i i don't i'm
0: not a huggy person i do not like hugs (laughs) (laughs) well anyway this teddy bear uh, also used methods like sleep deprivation starvation and even drugs in order to keep their members in the right frame of mind to be as susceptible to the thing
1: said to them as possible they had them do all sorts of weird things one man who left the group says that he was given an unknown infusion drip for a period of three months What? Like, sir, you just allowed someone to give you a random drip for three months? That's a long time. That's a lot of time that you spend there where you could be questioning. Oh my god,
0: that's brutal. But if that wasn't bad enough, he was also told to drink about three gallons of hot water a day uh, and then throw it up so he could purge evil from
1: his system. And speaking of purging, they also made their members go through a weekly bowel cleansing system.
0: Yeah, if I hadn't been out already, that might have done it for me. Right, yeah. Also, not to mention, none of this was free. Members paid for all of this. By this point, the group was making some serious
1: money. One of the big products that they encouraged their members to use were called Hats of Happiness, which basically looked like really big swimming caps with electrodes attached to them. Members would pay 11500 a month to rent
0: these hats, which they were told could reproduce the brainwaves of Asahara himself.
1: And you heard that right. 11500 yeah. a month. Now, is that like U.S. or is that yen? U.S., what The equivalent of U.S.
0: Okay, because when I first read this, I was thinking, okay, yen, so, you know, take it back a bit, right? But, like, oh, U.S. dollars. That's insanity.
1: <laughs> that's a thing. Like, they were making mad money. No kidding. Oh, my they God. They also purchased his blood and drank it in order to be closer to him. Love that. Oh, and... Are you ready for this? Okay, I've been waiting for this the entire episode. (sighs) Let's talk about Shoko Asahara's Miracle Pond. So if you're listening on an audio medium,
0: I'd like you to all just look up a picture of him while we go over the next part. Pull it up now if you
1: don't already have him out in front of you. (laughs) Okay, so Shoko Asahara, who we need to point out, was not like the cleanest guy ever would allow himself to soak in a tub for hours. Mm -hmm. His members would then bottle the bath water and sell it for $300 an ounce. That just makes my fucking skin crawl. I hate it so much. And I want to point out, in case (sighs) you're wondering, the purpose of the water was to drink it. Not a fan. Yeah, like that was actually one of the first things I heard about this cult, and it was actually around the time the whole Gamer Girl (laughs) bathwater thing was happening. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how many of you listening know about that or if I'm just like super depraved, but basically a few years ago, someone was selling her bathwater and she made like $50,000 doing it. I think she was charging like $40 per jar because that's a rookie number. Compared to this, (laughs) yeah, no. Like I remember seeing her promo video for it, because again, I'm depraved. But again, like I just picture him being all sexy, bottling his bathwater, and like in reality, kind of just like sat and fermented in it. But that's so much worse. But like three hundred dollars, and he sold a lot of it.
0: Who knew that the O.G. e girl was a male Japanese cult leader? Like in all seriousness, that is vile. If you guys could see my face right now.
1: (laughs) I know I have I have I'm like covering my mouth and I'm like I my mouth is open and I'm in shock like, oh. I, I because I imagine. Oh no! Do you do you? Here's my question to you, Charlotte. Mm hmm. Do you think they drank it like a shot, or they like swished it around like a like a wine?
0: Well, here's my thought: If you're paying three hundred dollars for like what an ounce, a couple of ounces. Yeah, you're probably gonna savor it, right? And yeah. these guys are gung ho for it. So they're gonna savor it like, you know, this is uh it's a biohazard is what it is. Like,
1: <laughs> I just picture them drinking it and being like, ah, ah. Shoko Asahara must have gone for an extra walk today. Yeah, good vintage. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, So he also published a book called Secrets to Developing Your Supernatural Powers, Mm. where he promised the reader he could teach them some super handy things like x-ray vision, telepathy and talking to God. Uh, In this book, he also said the words,
0: I hereby declare myself to be the Christ now that, that's a red flag right i th- I feel like uh, and again not a religious person we've established this long established mm-hmm. this but to me if someone goes around claiming to be the son of god we should be checking into them a little bit yeah. you know yeah. just, just a smidge
1: and like that's kind of like just statistically what we've seen that's not just us saying that i just feel like if someone starts saying that that's never a good high point in their lives
0: exactly Followers were encouraged to leave their families and live in villages with other members of the group. One of these villages was on a quiet dairy farm that housed nearly a thousand members.
1: Now, why did we mention all of this? These people had loved ones, like they had folks legitimately worried about them. Not only that, they were
0: often encouraged to get money from their families, often spending entire
1: inheritances on cult-related items and services. Can you imagine your family members spending their inheritance on cult leader bathwater?
0: I I would be happier if I found out a family member had, like, blown it on Blackjack and Blow in Vegas, to be honest yeah. with you. Like, I'd be yeah, like, all too. right, well, at least they had a fucking good time. But these guys were yeah. just drinking nasty cult leader soup. Yeah.
1: Ugh. Really. I mean, I, I would be... Very, very disappointed. Yeah, people <laughs> people were rightfully angry. In October of 1989, Sakamoto was interviewed by the Tokyo Broadcasting System regarding his anti-cult efforts. And this whole thing was supposed to be pretty low-key, but Aum Shinrikyo had people on the inside and the tape was shown to the group. Sakamoto was promised that this wouldn't happen and that he, as a source, would be protected. On November 3rd, 1989, four higher-up members of Omshin Shinrikyo, including a chief scientist and a martial arts master, drove to Yokohama, where the Sakamoto family lived.
0: With them, they had a pouch full of needles along with vials of potassium chloride. They had originally planned to kidnap Sakamoto at a train station, but he hadn't showed up. Apparently, he had slept in. This saved his life. Unfortunately, two days later, the group tried again, and this time they found him at home. At 3 a.m., they
1: entered his apartment. Ask me how. How? Another unlocked door. Oh my god. You guys, we can't say this enough. Lock your fucking doors. Lock your doors. They found Sakamoto and beat his head with a hammer. They then injected him with the potassium chloride solution and strangled him until he died. His wife, Satsumi Sakamoto, was killed in a similar way. And if that isn't bad enough, they then made their way to the remaining member of the Sakamoto family. 14-month-old Tatsuhiko was injected and left to die with his face covered with a small cloth. It's so it's so fucking heartbreaking.
0: Like these innocent people and like obviously, sure, whatever. You got some twisted vendetta against this lawyer because he doesn't like you and he's trying to shut you down, but you killed his toddler, my guy. That toddler his did toddler. nothing. Yeah.
1: Oh Oh my God. god, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah. The teeth of all of the victims were broken to prevent identification, and they were stored in three separate metal drums. The group then split up and took the drums to three different jurisdictions. They then burned as much of the evidence as they could and dropped the murder weapons into the ocean. And if that isn't terrible enough, the bodies were only found after the subway attack when the crime was confessed to. The murders remained unsolved for a number of years. Not for lack of information or evidence, mind you,
0: but because no one wanted to speak out against Om Shinrikyo. Basically, the group very
1: quickly started to not allow anyone to mess with them.
0: Not only that, they essentially showed that they could get away with murder if they really wanted to. The treatment of the members was also pretty concerning at this point. In fact, a police raid on one of their compounds led to a woman being found trapped in a box. Apparently, she had been there for two
1: months as a part of a spiritual exercise. One of the documentaries I watched for the series shows the actual box. Like, they seriously had this box that they almost completely buried, and they just leave people in it like it was completely normal. Sometimes people were left in there for minutes or days, but there were definitely quite a few more extreme circumstances like hers.
0: Shoko Asahara was thrilled with his leadership position, but it wasn't enough for him. In 1990, he decided to make good on his childhood promise of becoming Prime Minister of Japan, this just led to a really bizarre campaign.
1: There's a really great documentary that was released in 1995 called Japan's Strange and Deadly Insurrectionist Cult. Uh, it was re- it was released by ABC Australia, and it has a ton of video footage of the cult, and it shows them campaigning. and uh, Yeah, it's it's different. While many potential
0: politicians were somewhat stoic, Shoko Asahara and his group were loud and flashy. Members often showed up wearing Shoko Asahara masks and would dance around singing
1: and chanting his name. However, fun costumes and dancing weren't enough. The group didn't really have a political agenda other than wanting to get rid of a sales tax. They also talked a lot about the end of the world, which most of the public wasn't really down with. Because of this, they were terribly defeated. Now, at this point, we have
0: people clearly being brainwashed and taking advantage of, a murdered family, and an immense amount of harm done to countless families. But unfortunately, things are about
1: to get a whole lot worse. Shoko Asahara did not handle losing very well. Not only that, the loss caused many people to actually leave the group, which made him feel pretty desperate about the whole thing. Around this time, he began telling people that a terrible catastrophe was going to happen, and he took them all the way to an island to escape certain death. When nothing
0: happened, the group returned to Japan, and Shoko Asahara was basically like, ''Well, it's still going to happen, so you better stick with me if you don't want to die.'' And uh, they did, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it worked. This desperation combined with Asahara's clearly bruised ego is what many now believe was a huge turning point for the group. However, looking back, it was probably hard to believe that this group would soon be responsible for one of the deadliest attacks of its kind.
0: And that is where we will continue our story next week. We'll be talking about the activities of the cult in the early 90s, as well as how the group was able to spread into countries
1: on multiple continents. The group only continued to grow after all of this. The conclusion to this story is truly a devastating one, and it's interesting for me to see how a group can go from a yoga studio to a bath water drinking doomsday cult.
0: I I mean, I mentioned it in the beginning, but it's always quite difficult for me to understand how so many people can fall for something like this. Like, you can see maybe, like, one or two, but thousands of people fell for this, and all of the innocent people that are just victimized by one crazy, uh, albeit
1: charismatic, psychopath, basically. I, I feel like I have to keep pointing this out, but the other thing, too, with the group is, like, they were intelligent educated people like like you said there were chemists and engineers and yeah you know I saw an interview with a guy and Buddy was a literal rocket scientist yes like this wasn't people who were like you look at a lot of cults and this just isn't the general demographic that we see. And that's something that makes this just even more scary. Mm -hmm. I I guess it just goes to prove that when
0: people are disillusioned and they're looking for some kind of hope, all it takes is the right person at kind of the right time to sort of suck you in. Right? Absolutely. Uh, All right. So all that being said, we just have a few things to talk about super quick. First of all, Yes, we are still accepting story submissions. We've had a bunch of people reach out and say that they didn't get their stories in on time for Grim Encounters Part 2 and wanted to know if we were still interested. Of
1: course we are. We love sharing your stories. And again, they don't need to necessarily be paranormal. Like, if you've experienced something strange or unique that you think we want to hear about, send it in. Just email us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. Also, quick
0: thank you to everyone who has been listening to us
1: on Apple Podcasts. We are
0: thrilled to be on there finally. So if you do listen there, just uh, drop a rating for us.
1: Yeah. And also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go do that. We are trying to hit five hundred subs there. It would mean a lot. If you've already subscribed, please consider leaving like some likes or comments, or maybe even rewatching some of your favorites. Yeah, girls are out here trying to get monetized, so every little thing helps us out. Absolutely. Uh, What else? We have uh, new mugs. And a new sticker design out on Etsy. And I have to say, you really outdid yourself on that one. Thank you. It's
0: it's my favorite so far, I have to say. Not to toot my own horn or anything.
1: Honestly, the, the tooting is well-deserved because it's, it's fabulous. I love it. Well, if you haven't you. checked it out, again, that's on Etsy. And uh, yeah, we're really excited. We're also starting to run low on our keychains. So get one before they're sold out because uh, for those, we can't guarantee there's going to be a restock on them once they're gone. So just fair warning. Yeah. Uh, as for the
0: mugs, they are all one of a kind. So if you do see a design you like, uh, get it. <laughs>
1: And of course, make sure you check us out on Patreon. We just released our fourth monthly Bedtime Stories episode. And I gotta say, it was a blast. I really enjoyed the story. Um, those are available to
0: all tiers, the bedtime stories, and they start at only three bucks a month. And that three bucks, it
1: helps us a lot. Like, seriously, we appreciate all of the love and all of the support. Very much so. so, Yeah, so much. Yeah, it's I know I say it a lot. I
0: bring it up once in a while because I think I got it. But it still kind of blows my mind that there's just like people out there just listening to us talk about creepy shit. And it's awesome. So thank you so much.
1: But it's mind blowing, though it like, is like the fact that we actually get to do this and the fact that all of this started from a tweet
0: hell yeah internet friends like can real. be be real life friends folks don't let your
1: dreams be dreams people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but until next week make sure you don't miss out on the grim curriculum news by following us on twitter instagram facebook and the TikTok. we are all over the place now um world takeover when?
1: Can we, like, start our own cult? I I, I will offer to sell Mango's bathwater. Uh, we can sell Buffy's bathwater as well. <laughs> I mean, Buffy's not a fan of the baths, but we can figure something out. <laughs> she, need, she clearly
0: needs to meditate
1: more. That's the issue. It
0: must be. You can also find us individually on the social medias. We're going to link our personal socials down below with some other fun links for you guys.
1: Thanks for listening. This has been The, the Group Curriculum. curriculum.
0: Did you guys know that there's a species of horned lizards that squirts blood from their eyeballs as a defense mechanism? Now you do. I sure wish I could do that. (laughs) Bye. Bye.